I'm Jeff Eichler. And I'm Kirsten Rickert. And we are the hosts of the Getting Unstuck podcast, a part of the Education Podcast Network. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Hey, Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12 is uh, partnering with the John Maxwell Organization. They have this huge leadership event coming up called Live to Lead. It's October 8th, 2021. That's right. It's in Atlanta, Georgia. And if you go to www.l2latl.com and uh, you use the checkout code for educators, K-12, you can get a special price for your tickets. By the way, um, also go to www.johnmaxwell.com slash TLLK12 and you will find a uh, special landing page there featuring Jeff Henderson, who I'm interviewing, talking about his book, Four. There you'll find uh, the landing page for the Four book, You for the World Digital Course, and Four Voices Assessment. So cool. Have fun. You are listening to Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12 podcast for educators, helping you help kids achieve their dreams. And now here's Steve with this week's show. Hey, make sure you check out Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12's special Jeff Henderson landing page for the four book plus You for the World digital course plus four voices assessment at johnmaxwell.com slash TLLK12. Such cool resources. I've interviewed Jason Stoughton, which if you haven't listened to that one, you got to listen to that. And now Jeff Henderson with his book, Know What You're For, A Growth Strategy for Work and Even Better Strategy for Life. All kinds of cool resources at johnmaxwell.com slash TLLK12. Jeff Henderson believes in the power of words. As an entrepreneur, speaker, pastor, and business leader, Jeff is a master communicator at his core. He has witnessed firsthand the capacity for language to dictate vision and for vision to transform the cultures of companies and organizations worldwide. Recently named by Forbes magazine as one of 20 speakers you shouldn't miss, Jeff has helped lead three of North Point Ministries' churches in the Atlanta, Georgia area since 2003. As a much sought-after thought leader, Jeff knows the value of effective communication to spur growth and believes it is the key to impact change in one's life, ultimately. Jeff has seen this outlook pay dividends in both the nonprofit and for-profit world. Prior to serving as a pastor, Jeff worked in marketing with Atlanta Braves, Callaway Gardens, Lake Lanier Islands, and Chick-fil-A Incorporated, where he led the company's sports marketing and regional marketing efforts. Jeff understands what it takes to build something from the ground up, having founded several organizations, including Champion Tribes, Preaching Rocket, Mentor, Launch University, and The Four Company, which helps churches and businesses grow by using The Four strategy. Whether established or emerging, Jeff has a heart for developing leadership. Fueled by the passion to see individuals and businesses thrive, Jeff has become a trusted voice for those who want to see true success in themselves and their sphere of influence. Jeff has a way of inspiring people to reach their maximum potential while understanding that it will not only positively impact one's company and organization, but also establish a legacy of healthy growth. Jeff, thanks for joining me today and say hi to everyone. Steve, great to be with you. Thanks for uh, thanks for the introduction and so honored and great to uh, be a part of uh, what you're doing here. Well, it's awesome to have you here. And uh, uh, Jeff, we got so much we want to talk. I want to talk about. And uh, let's let's start by uh, by looking at your book. You've got an incredible book. It's titled "Know What You're For: A Growth Strategy for Work and Even Better Strategy for Life." I loved it, and the four movement and philosophy methodology is going all over the world. But first, tell us about yourself. How'd you get here? So I grew up in Georgia, went to a school here in Georgia and uh, grew up in, in, in the ministry. My dad was a pastor, so grew up in kind of the nonprofit world. 
but developed an interest in sports and uh, sports marketing. And so my first job was with the Atlanta Braves and really enjoyed that. And, and uh, so I really just kind of followed that path. Eventually wound up, as you mentioned, at Chick-fil-A, where I managed all the sports marketing and regional marketing efforts. But my wife and I were involved in a church here in Atlanta and uh, got involved there. And for the last 17 years, I led, helped lead three churches there. But during the time, Steve, I'd I was just so fortunate because obviously I was uh, on the front lines of Chick-fil-A as they were experiencing explosive growth. And then North Point uh, had explosive growth as well. And I was telling a mentor of mine that I was so fortunate and blessed to have worked for two organizations that experienced such growth, both in the business world and the nonprofit world. And he said, well, it's true, but you also have a stewardship responsibility. You need to tell us what you learned and what really caused that growth for these two organizations and other organizations. And so that was really kind of the impetus behind the book of, of sharing really the two questions that I think not only can help organizations grow, but individuals grow. And I've, I've been able to live in both worlds, uh, the for-profit world and the nonprofit world and, and go back and forth. But I do think these two questions can help uh, both those, those two areas, for-profit and nonprofit, but even more important, I think it can help us as individuals. Very cool. Uh, you know, Jeff, one of the things I, I learned is that you just returned from speaking to educators like me and, and thousands that listen to, uh, to to this podcast. What'd you share with them? First of all, I just said, thanks. Thanks for what you're doing to shape the next generation. And in fact, I'm heading to a few days to speak to another group of educators. And, you know, my one of my mentors and heroes is John Maxwell. And he talks about these different streams of influence in culture. And education is certainly one of them. And in this, in this case for educators, we, we talked about the fact that every organization needs to be known for what they're for. And so we talked about what do you want to be known for as in this particular educational group? What do you want to be known for? And there's so much division, so much conflict, so much separation going on in our society right now. I think it's time for leaders to, to, to rise up and say, hey, in a world that's known most for what it's against, we want to be known for what we're for. And so helping them think through that and having some language, because language is really important. So I was able to talk to, to most every state in that particular setting a few weeks ago. And, uh, and that's really begun to have some other invitations to influence and help this incredible, uh, incredibly important stream of influence, which is education. That's awesome. That's, that's awesome. It, you know, uh, I, I love your book. It's, it's incredible. It's a powerful read. Thank and uh, I got to tell you, it was tough narrowing down the number of questions I asked. It's going to ask. So just <laughs> so, you know, one of the things I want to ask you is, uh, could you talk about your original influence or inspiration for four? Sure. The, the book opens with me on a I'm driving uh, the founder of Chick-fil-A, Truett Cathy, to a speaking engagement. And I can't quite remember where we went or where we were going, but the conversation really shaped um, the trajectory of my life. And and I had known Truett for a while, and but this was the first time that we would, you know, be I would have a, an opportunity to drive into a speaking engagement. So we were in a cow spotted car going up 85 and going really slow because I didn't want to, you know, I didn't want to cause a wreck or I didn't want my 15 minutes of fame to be. This was the guy that you know got Truett Cathy in a car wreck, so I went really slow. People are honking at us, I think in good ways, waving at us because they see us in this cow spotted car. And I was expecting us to talk about chicken prices and how can we sell more chicken and all that. And we certainly talked a little bit about the business. But during the course of the evening and the course of the drive there and back, Truett just asked me, hey, how are you doing? And do you like working here? And um, how does Wendy like you working here? And we started talking about being a good dad. And, and I asked him, so how, you know, you've, you've, 
created a billion dollar business, yet you have three kids that really love you and you have a healthy marriage. How'd you do all that? And so we began to talk about issues that were way beyond the chicken business. And during the course of the evening, I discovered Truett's secret to growing the business. And his secret was this, that Truett was more interested in the business growing people than people growing the business. And that's how the business grew. Truett was very interested in the business growing, but he understood that the way you do that is that you have the business to create a platform for growth. And if you have people that are growing in your organization, the rest will take care of itself. And that's when I genuinely, I didn't have the words at this time, Steve, to put it in there in, in this language, but it, I knew that Truett was genuinely and sincerely for me. And because of that, uh, I was gonna do my very, very best. And I felt, I felt cared for in that car ride and even well beyond. I, in fact, I still feel cared for about Chick-fil-A, even though I've been gone for many years from there. And that leads me to a principle, it's a leadership principle. And that is when people feel cared for, they will do more. When people feel cared for, they will do more. We don't do that from a, from a manipulative standpoint because people can sense whether you're really truly for them or not. But when a leader, in this case, True Kathy, was genuinely for me, I would run through several brick walls for him and give, bring my very, very best. And so the simplicity of that, but the sincerity of that, it kind of planted a seed and so when I, when I was thinking about this book, there's so many other influences and so many other stories, but that one I wanted to open up with because I think that was really when it began to catalyze this idea of business growth and personal growth are tied together. That's excellent. And, you know, and there's so much in, in the beginning of your book that I, I just wanted to spend so much time there, but uh, we're going we're gonna to go straight to the questions. And, you know, in chapter two, you introduce us to two questions that are the real backbone of four. The questions are one, uh, what do we want to be known for? And two, what are we known for? Could you tell us why these questions are so important? Sure. The great thing about these questions is that they're simple, but they're not easy. And you know, from a simple standpoint, it's just two questions. Because again, when, when, when I was challenged, write you know, what you've learned, and if you can put it on half a piece of paper, that would be great. And I said, well, if I would be with anyone and they wanted to know how to grow their organization, uh, and again, I've seen it in both worlds. It really comes down to these two questions. What do you want to be known for and what are you known for? What do you want to be known for is your unique vision. What, what do you bring uniquely to the marketplace? What do you do unique that, that for the people that you're serving? What's interesting, though, is that a lot of organizations assume that everybody knows the answer to this question. And that's a massive assumption. So when I go working with leadership teams, I'll often pass out a piece of paper and I'll ask them, ask them to write down what do you think this organization wants to be known for? Don't say it out loud, just write it down. So then I'll collect the pieces of paper and then I'll start to read the answers out loud. And so often you'll begin to see as I'm reading these answers that the leadership team begins to understand, we don't know what we wanna be known for. And from a business standpoint, when there's confusion in the office space, there will be confusion in the marketplace. And the reason a lot of organizations um, aren't experiencing a lot of momentum is because there's not clarity about what we want to be known for. And it can't be a, a 17 paragraph mission statement that we came out, uh, came out with, with a retreat, you know, five years ago that nobody remembers. 
language is really, really important. So there's a lot more I could say about this first question. But the second question really ties in because it's not the organization's answer question to answer. That's the customer or the students, the faculty, if you will, or if you're a church or nonprofit, the people that you're serving. It's their opportunity to reflect back to us on whether or not we are delivering on our brand promise to question number one. But the reason I say that these two questions will catalyze growth is when the answers to these two questions match, when what you want to be known for, this is what you do uniquely better than anybody, when what you want to be known for is what you're known for, then you create vision carriers for your organization. They, they, they experience you, what you wanna do, and then they tell others about what you're doing. And that's why the answers to these two questions, that's why I feel like I could say within, with any sense of credibility, I've seen this happen. When organizations are really clear about what they want to be known for, and then they have customers who experience it, then you you harness and, and, and connect with vision carriers who will grow your business. And the most, you know, if we're talking from a business standpoint, the healthiest form of growth is when customers grow your business. But this is also true for nonprofits. When parents and students and faculty, or in my case, from a from uh, as a former pastor, uh, families, single adults, college students, high school students, when they experience what we want to be known for and they can communicate it to other people, it's a game changer um, because the organization will grow in however it is that you want to, want to characterize growth. So I've, I just really challenge leadership teams and encourage leadership teams and organizations to get clarity around these two questions and just put them on a wall somewhere and let them bother you. Um, but here's the reality. Every organization, I don't care if it's a nonprofit, business, solo entrepreneur, whatever it may be, there's currently a gap. There's a gap between what you want to be known for and what you are known for. And that shouldn't be discouraging. It should just be, here's the reality. But every single day is an opportunity for that particular organization, whether it's a school, church, business, whatever, to come to work to lock arms together and to shrink the gap between what we want to be known for and what we are known for. When that happens, everybody's on the same page. There's no disunity. There's no, um, there's no division. We're all coming to work. We might have different roles, but we're all doing the same thing. We're trying to shrink the gap between what we want to be known for and what we are known for. Awesome. I love it. And it fits so well with, with education. This is, this is my, uh, I'm into my 35th year in public education in, this, mm. in the state of Georgia. And uh, it, it fits so well with what we're trying to do and communicate with our communities and our, the people that we serve and so forth. And uh, I, I love your message. You know, one of the things I also love is the stories that you share throughout your book. Chapter three is one of my favorite chapters and stories, by the way. Uh, could you talk a little bit about keep the main thing the main thing? Sure. It really ties into what I was just referencing that you know, there was a, a CEO that would walk around a, a, quite a bit and say, hey, don't forget the main thing is keeping the main thing the main thing. And everybody would shake their head and go, that's right, that's right. But one time in a leadership team, he said, you know, that meeting ended, hey, don't forget the main thing is keeping the main thing the main thing. Somebody in the leadership team raised their hand and said, hey, I have a question. So can you remind me what the main thing is? <clears throat> and he said, well, this is the main thing. And he said, well, I didn't think that was the main thing. I thought this was the main thing. And then someone else said, well, I thought this was the main thing. So suddenly you have a leadership team that wasn't clear about what the main thing is. And that's actually common because we don't drift toward clarity. We don't drift toward 
um, understanding a, a compelling theme, we, we actually drift toward confusion. We don't drift toward health. We, for example, I don't drift toward a bowl of broccoli at 10 o'clock at night. I want to drift toward Jenny's brambleberry ice cream, which is phenomenal. So we have to make sure that we are staying on message. And in that case, the leader was staying on the message, but no one knew what the message was. No one knew what the main thing was. So as you're listening to this and as you're processing this, I would ask you if you were to go into your meeting and ask the question, what is the main thing? It's very similar to saying, what do we want to be known for? And again, when an organization assumes we have talked about this once, it's a dangerous assumption. This is why when it comes to leadership, this is true for any organization. Leaders are repeaters. You have to say it over and over again. And yeah, you need to say it in fresh ways and fresh context, but you have to stay on message. And when you have a message that resonates, you have to stay on it and you have to say it over and over and over again. And I think sometimes as leaders, we get a little bored with saying the same message. When I worked at Chick-fil-A, we launched the Eat More Chicken Cow campaign for a few years and you know, a few operators came to me, I was working with the Atlanta market and they said, hey, how much longer are we gonna do this? Because everybody's heard of Eat More Chicken by now. And I said, well, that's a, that's a, good, that's a good pushback. So let's do some research. So, and again, this is an this is a advertising campaign that's in the Advertising Hall of Fame. And yes, there actually is an Advertising Hall of Fame. <laughs> we did research in the Atlanta area and we discovered only a small portion of the Atlanta market understood or had seen what Eat More Chicken was all about. Well, we live Eat More Chicken. We had cow ties. Everywhere we went, cows were everywhere in our life. We just assumed everybody else was doing that as well. That's not the case. So for me to come back to the Atlanta operators and go, guys, we, we, haven't, we haven't scratched the surface yet. I think it was a reminder that messaging is, you gotta have the right, I mean, that's three words, right? Eat more chicken, but you gotta say it over and over and over again for it to stick. That's awesome. And that's, it's also interesting to think that it, there was a time when <laughs> you had a little pushback to say, are, are, really, how much longer? Because you know, <laughs> now you have people who imitate the slogan. <laughs> That's so, that's so common though, because we get, we get bored with, with the language. And this is, an, uh, this is where I think sometimes leaders struggle that they, they don't understand the difference between a promotion and a movement. A promotion starts big and, and flames out after a few months. A movement starts small and builds over time. But for a movement to build over time, you gotta stay on message. Another Chick-fil-A example using Truett is, um, he went to the Ritz-Carlton one day and, and he said, thank you. And the staff there said, my pleasure. And he thought, wow, we, we should borrow that at Chick-fil-A. So we went to the national convention. Uh, my wife, Wendy, and I were there. He made us stand up. This is the entire organization, all Chick-fil-A operators, all staff, their spouses included. And he said, thank you. We said, my pleasure. So when somebody comes into the store, let's say my pleasure, not you're welcome. So few days later, he gets back to Atlanta, goes to a store, orders a chicken sandwich that he, this was his idea, the chicken sandwich, by the way. And he says, thank you. And the team member behind the counter says, you're welcome. Well, Truett didn't lose his mind. He didn't fire off an angry email. He didn't, you know, fire anybody. He just stayed on message. And Chick-fil-A has video recordings. Don't miss this, Steve and everyone. For the next 10 years, Truett saying, my pleasure, my pleasure, having everybody stand up and doing that for 10 
years. So every time I hear my pleasure at Chick-fil-A, I'm, I ask my, myself the question, am I staying on message as much as true it needed to stay on message for this moment to happen? And I think sometimes it's easy for us to go, you know, leaders like you know, Chick, uh, Truett Cathy, it's just easier for them. It's really not. But they're just persistent. And so when you have the right language and the right message, you got to stay on message, whether it's, you know, for or eat more chicken or my pleasure. That's awesome. I love that. That's that's just amazing. And I, I, 10 years of sticking to that message, which is uh, now beyond that. <laughs> so uh, you can see the impact of it because you have, actually have others imitating his message. Well, here's the impact. People think that R- the Ritz-Carlton now stole that from Chick-fil-A. Would you... <laughs> Now you know the rest of the story. That's not actually how it worked. <laughs> That's funny. It actually came from Horace Schultze and the Ritz-Carlton. Um, but but I, I do, here's the other thing, though, and I think this is great for, um, for, the, for the folks listening. Truett didn't, com- no offense, but Truett wasn't comparing himself or Chick-fil-A to fast food competitors. He was comparing himself and their organization to the Ritz-Carlton. The Ritz-Carlton had won the Malcolm Baldridge Quality Service Award two times. This is a massive award. No organization has ever won it two times in a row. Um, And so Chick-fil-A said, we want to be the Ritz-Carlton in our our industry. And so this is not having me here today, Steve, but having people that come outside of the the educational field or out, out of your field is so helpful because you're able to learn things that they're doing in, in that is not in your field. For example, when I was a pastor, I would have people from the business world come in and say, I just want you to tell our team what you're doing. And they would say, well, Jeff, I don't know anything about the Bible or theology. That's not, that's not what this is about. We want to hear what you're doing. We're going to take what you're doing and we're going to apply it to our world so that we can get better. So I love that the fact that while Truett was vacationing at a Ritz-Carlton. He was there also studying them. And, and now one of the things they did is now uh, considered something that Chick-fil-A started. That's so cool. That's, that's, it's really neat to know that story too. That's, that's awesome. Yeah. In uh, section three for the community, chapter 15 introduces us to good for goodness sake. I love this chapter. On page 174, you comment, Give us a reason to talk positively about your organization, because when you do, we'll become a sales force for free. Oh my gosh, talk about powerful. Uh, could you put this in context and then explain what you mean? Absolutely. I think people are now, in fact, if you go to marketing demographics, let's just talk about the business world for a second. We'll come back to nonprofit. The younger the demographic is, the more they are asking, what, are you, what is your organization doing to help make our world and our community a better place? And that's why doing good is good for business. And it's not in a manipulative way. It's not in an artificial way. Um, and that doesn't mean necessarily that you have to have some charity associated with your business. What it does mean to say, though, is that you treat people with honor, dignity, and respect. I tell people in our community, one of the best things that you can do, small business owners, one of the best things that you can do to change the world and change our world is to run a fantastic business, create a great customer team or great team culture because the customer is eventually treated like the team is treated. And when you do that, you're, you're making the world a better place. 
And that's why I think nonprofits are a little bit ahead of businesses because, you know, we don't necessarily have a product to sell, but we do have purpose. That's what we sell. And, and so we're, we're kind of ahead of the game sometimes in the, in the for-profit world. But I tell the for-profit world is that purpose is not exclusive to the nonprofit world. And especially in business, when you combine a really good product with a compelling purpose, it's going to lead to profit. No, no doubt about it. You've got to have great product and services, all of that. If you've got a compelling purpose that connects with that compelling product, you're going to have a compelling profit. And you're seeing that, again, in the younger the younger the demographics. Uh, when we launched our church here in Gwinnett, I, I asked the question, if our church ever went out of business, I would want our, our community to rise up and protest, to go, no, no, you're adding so much value to our community that if you shut down, we suffer. Uh, many churches, many nonprofits, many businesses go out of business and the community never notices because the, the impact never flowed beyond the four walls of the business. And so that's, that's where the future is going. And it's challenging, but I think it's also exciting. If, if the, and I tell this for businesses, if the goal of your business is to stay in business, that's the number one goal, is to stay in business, you won't. Because it's all about you. And the business and the organization is not the hero. The school is not the hero. The, the nonprofit is not the hero. The people that they're serving, those are the heroes. And our organization is here to serve you. I, I put in the book that, you know, it, this is true for any organization but let's, or, or a lot of organizations, but let's just pick on the business world. If a business was a person, many businesses would be considered narcissists because the central focus of the business is the business. And it's as if, if it was a football field, the business is on the field and the customers and the employees are in the stands cheering the business on. We got to flip the script, whether it's a business, school system, church, nonprofit, whatever it may be. The people that they are serving, they're on the field and the organization is in the stands or on the sidelines, cheering them on, equipping them, resourcing them so that they can score a touchdown in their lives. And when we understand that, the, the focus shifts, not from what can we get out of people, but what can we do for people? I love that. I, and I think so often, and, and I think this is something that's huge in, in, that in school settings, we've been learning this the last bunch of years as we're realizing that we've got to be in charge of telling our story and, uh, right. and, uh, and connecting with our communities, not just thinking that, you know, open the doors, you know, the build it, they will come type thing. Instead, we've got to be proactive in getting out there and, ex, ex, you know, trying to figure out how we more can impact the community itself as a whole, instead of seeing it as we're here and, you know, come let us help you type thing. Um, yeah. And the, and the natural inclination is for, is for the organization to put the spotlight on itself. That's actually natural. Um, because there's something in us that wants to self-protect. We got to keep the entity going. We got to go, and but when we shift the focus and start talking about um, how can we better serve people, they're going to respond. Again, the secret to thriving organizations, nonprofit or for-profit, is they understand how to make a transition, and that transition is they transition people from simply benefiting from the mission and vision to participating in it. For example, it's one thing for me to drop my kids off at this school. I mean, they got to go to school, so that's what I'm doing. And I'm a, I'm a parent, and I'm, I'm benefiting from the mission and vision of the school. But when I become bought in, and I post on Instagram or Facebook about how much my kids love the school and how much they love their teacher, um, 
the, the, the school begins to move forward, the mission and vision. And I have become now a vision carrier for that school or organization. And again, as we said earlier, the more vision carriers you have, the more vision casters you have. And it doesn't matter whether you're a school, church, business, or whatever. When people talk positively about what you're doing, it's going to create momentum for the organization. And that's what we all need. We want momentum. However that might, however you might define momentum and growth, every organization needs that. We, no one starts a school and says, I hope this school someday closes and is in total disarray. No one starts a nonprofit that way. No one starts a business and says, you know what? Someday I hope we close this business. But at the end of the day, it's gotta be about who are we serving? What do we wanna be known for? And then are we delivering on that? I love it. I, I, I just love it. I, I, Jeff, in chapter 19, seven ways to improve you and uh, by the way, just as a comment, you also have a free resource training associated with this. You, you know, you talk about a couple of practices that I have to get you to talk about. And one is ask big. This is incredible. I mean, I, I, could you share a little bit about this chapter and talk about ask big? I, I can and I do. I, I, as I do this, Steve, I see Buzz Lightyear over your head. And so one of my ask big moments in the book was I asked Pixar, the movie studios, if my family could get a private uh, tour of the movie studios when we were coming out to celebrate my daughter's high school graduation. And my kids grew up on Pixar movies. And in fact, I think I listened to Finding Nemo 10 times in the car before I actually even watched it, right? <laughs> so, but I had met Ed Catmull, the CEO of Pixar, briefly at something he spoke at. He wouldn't remember who I was, but I wrote him a letter and said, hey, here's a picture of us. We met a year ago. We're huge Pixar fans. Um, I had actually seen, remember DVDs, Steve, the, the Monsters, Inc. DVD. They had a bonus DVD that said, here's an office tour of Pixar. It was amazing. So I just wrote him a handwritten note and said, hey, if there's any way while we're out there to get a tour, that'd be awesome. And you know, as I'm writing this note, one side of my brain, I'm thinking this would be amazing. The other side of my brain, by, by the way, I talk to myself. I don't know if anyone else out there talks to yourself, but I'm thinking this is a complete total waste of time. I mean, do you know how expensive postage stamps are nowadays? You don't even know if this is the right address. It's not even going to get to him. Don't you have anything better to do with your life, right? <laughs> On the other hand, I'm thinking if this happens, this will be a lifelong memory. So I wrote the letter and didn't hear anything for three or four months. And then I get a call one day from Oakland, California. I don't know anybody from Oakland, California. And I'm told, Steve, that don't answer your phone if you don't know who's calling, because that's how they get your social security number. So anyway, so I answer the phone. I don't answer the phone. But later that night, I have a voicemail from Wendy in Ed Catmull's office. And she said, Mr. Anderson, we got your, I still have that voicemail, by the way. Uh, we got your uh, message and our letter, and we'd love to give you a tour. And it was, I mean, we drive out there to the iconic Pixar gates, right, that Steve Jobs created, and it was phenomenal. They gave us these badges that said strangers from the outside. <laughs> but when we were when we were leaving, I mean, we went to Steve, where Steve Jobs had passed away a couple of years before this. They still have his office there. Um, and I don't know, maybe we're just uh, nice people from Georgia, but they said, okay, we, we've never done this before we're gonna let you actually see a movie being produced right now. And we had to sign a non-disclosure agreement that we couldn't tell anybody about what we're about to see until the movie came out. And it actually ended up being the movie Coco, which came out six months after this, or, or maybe three or four months after this. It was phenomenal. 
I say all that to say we're, we're walking away about to leave and my daughter pulls me aside and she says, dad, this is so cool. Um, and I stopped being cool to my daughter, you know, 15 years ago. So this was such a, and I, I go back, this is such a cool moment. I go back to that moment when I'm writing the note and thinking if I had not asked big, if I had talked myself out of this, this moment would not have happened. Now, that's a pretty cool story. What I'm not telling you are the dozens of times I've done that and I hadn't gotten any responses, right? And over time, if you're not careful, you can stop asking big because you get a lot of no's or you don't get any responses at all. And I've decided I'm not going to let people, I'm not going to answer for people. I'm going to let them answer for themselves. For example, I, I wrote Warren Buffett a letter a few years ago after reading his autobiography. You know, Warren Buffett, one of the richest men in the world. I can think he battles between Jeff Bezos um, and Bill Gates, depending on how the stock market's doing that day. And I wrote him a letter, said, I enjoyed your book. I have three questions. Um, I'm not asking you for money. It'll take 15 minutes. I'm going to fly out. And, and I get a letter back from Warren Buffett. And, it's a, and he wrote me back. He said, dear Jeff, no, I won't meet with you. But I have a letter from Warren Buffett and no one else does on this call. And the reason they don't is that nobody asked him for it, right? And so I've just committed myself to asking big. But it's a trigger. When I stop asking big, it's a trigger for me to understand or an indicator rather for me that I'm not inspired. And I've got to remain inspired. Getting inspired and remaining inspired are two different concepts. Getting inspired requires a moment and that's great. Remaining inspired requires a plan and a strategy. And one of my strategies is asking big. I want to remain inspired and think, could this possibly happen? Currently, what I'm asking big for is I'm trying to get the book in the hands of Oprah Winfrey. And so if there's anyone watching today that knows Oprah, let Steve know. And the reason I want to get the book in front of Oprah is I think she has a voice to both the business and the world at large. And I, I need to get the message of four out. And so I've been asking around. I've gotten as close to the person who flies her private jet. It's about as close as I've gotten. And I may never get to her, but that's okay. I'm going to keep asking. So the point of asking big is, are you remaining inspired? But an even, even lar larger part of that, Steve, is that one of the ways that you shrink the gap between what you want to be known for and what you are known for You've got to be for four groups of people. You've got to be for the customer, however you define the customer. You have to be for the team. You have to be for the larger community that we've already talked about. But ultimately, you have to be for you. And this resource that we created is called You For The World. The reason it's called that is we believe the best gift that you and I can give our worlds is to bring the best version of us for the world and to the world. And so there's seven practices I talk about that in the book. But... That, and that's one of them is to try to bring the best version of, of us to the world. And the best version of me is someone who remains inspired by asking big. And so that's just been a part of my life for several years now. Again, I have a lot more no's and no responses. But I'm telling you, the, the yeses that come as a result of asking big, they're incredible memories. I love it. That's that's so cool, and uh, you know you're so right on the money when, when you think about uh, it. Can make you you know when, when you start getting no's and you get rejected and stuff like that, you do start talking to yourself. Or at least I do too. I'm, I mean, I had to laugh there because I had those conversations with myself. What are you doing, man? There's <laughs> nobody's gonna read this or whatever. So I, had, I just said, uh, and I was reading that part. I'm like, yeah, and you start feeling like it's always gonna be a no, 
and uh, mm-hmm. had to overcome that, which is what you really remind us about. You know, one of the other practices in, in year seven is find your voice, which you also have a free assessment about, which I thought we'd talk about in just a little bit. Could you explain finding your voice and talk a little bit about the, that free assessment uh, for the reader? First of all, we're all, all leaders. No matter where you are in the organization, you, you, in fact, the most difficult person I lead, you're looking at the most person or you're listening to the most difficult person I lead, that's me. So we're all leaders, right? Well, leadership eventually comes with a microphone. You have to communicate. You have to communicate what you're thinking, what you're feeling, what you're believing, your ideas, where the organization is. And the better you communicate, the better you lead. And I think we do a disservice to ourselves many times when we think I'm not a communicator. I don't like public speaking. I don't like getting up in front of others. That's a form of communication, right? But we're all communicating one-on-one coffee shops, boardrooms, faculty rooms, break rooms, we're communicating. And the better you communicate your ideas and the better you communicate and convey, the better you're going to lead because leadership eventually comes with a microphone, literally or figuratively. And for the person that says, I don't, I'm not a communicator, they may not know this, but what in their essence, they're saying, I'm not a leader and leadership and communication go together. And that doesn't mean that you need to be, you know, this world-class communicator and that you're going to be speaking to 5,000 people. That's a form of that. But to do that, you have to understand what your predominant voice is. And I've been coaching communicators for the last 20 years and in doing that, I've observed that we have one of four voices. There may be more, and you may have a combination of these, but there's the voice of the storyteller, there's the voice of the motivator, there's the voice of the teacher, and there's the voice of the visionary. And each one of these voices has some strengths, and each one of these voices has a weakness. And when you leverage the strengths and avoid the weakness, it helps you communicate better to, and this is not just true for organizational life. You could use this or leverage this for your relationships, for your marriage, for talking to teenagers, whatever it may be, because what you're doing is you're becoming more cognizant of your gifts, communicating to other people. And so that's what I tell people. If you're ever talking to someone in an organizational setting, or if you're ever talking to someone in a relational setting, I've got great news. Congratulations. You're a communicator. Now let's get to work. Let's get to where you've got some work to do. So this idea of I'm not a communicator and I don't like public speaking. Again, that's a form of communication. And I'm not saying that you have to be up in front of 500 people. But what I am saying is if you want to become a better leader and if you want to serve people better, you got to understand your natural wiring as a communicator and the words that are coming out of your mouth. I, I love this. And, you know, the section of the book and then uh, and then I, I went and I took the uh, the four voices assessment. Um, I fall under motivator, and uh, it's interesting looking at uh, um, what it talks about. And by the way, I love the way it works. It's uh, uh, for those of you listening. It's it's not painful, and it's not going to take you super long. You're not going to be sitting there for four hours going, "Oh, what should I write?" You know, something right. like this. And it's uh, very informative. Uh, takes you then to a little video and such, and explains what you just found out about yourself. So good stuff. You know, it, one of the things that uh, I. Jeff, that I wanted to do here is we're going to kind of shift gears just a little bit as we're getting closer to finishing up. And I wanted to ask you, you know, if you had a chance to talk with an audience of teachers and school administrators getting ready to kick off the new school year, especially this year, you know, the fall of 21, what would you say to them that you'd want them to remember most? 
I think, first of all, thank you. Thank you for what you're doing. Um, being in your field, um, you know, my former life as a pastor and teacher, there's a lot of correlations to that, a lot of things. And I mean, you're dealing with families, you're dealing with the next generation, and um, people oftentimes can um, send you critical emails versus encouraging emails, right? So there's the old adage that for every one encouraging comment, you get seven critical emails. <laughs> and so I, I certainly can relate to that. So first of all, I would say, thank you, thank you. Um, the other thing I would do is to, to, to characterize or, to, or spend some time asking yourself in this particular year, what do I wanna be known for? Um, in the year ahead, what do I wanna be known for? And who do I wanna be known for? I, I love what the Atlanta Braves are doing right now. They're, they're playing really well right now, by the way. And they launched something called For the A, which means we are for the city of Atlanta. That's who we're playing for. And in essence, when you, I was talking to the marketing director of the Braves a few weeks ago, and, and they're asking these two questions. And I think these are two questions that, are, that tie into the two questions that we've been talking about today. But in essence, for the A is answering or asking, who are we playing for and what are we playing for? So as a teacher, I would ask those two questions to go along the two questions we mentioned earlier. Who are you playing for? And what are you playing for? And in the book, I, I talk about a customer service strategy that I think is so important. And that is to deliver wow every single day. Deliver wow every single day. A friend of mine, Dana Spinola, she launched the a women's boutique fabric. It's a fantastic, they have 40 stores around America. And as one of their key uh, performance indicators every day, not only do they need to send sales reports into the store, they have to deliver one wow back to the home office. What did you do to wow one customer? And my favorite story is one Valentine's Day, a customer came in, she was looking for a dress, and she said, well, I don't know if I'm gonna be able to go to Valentine's Day dinner tonight because we can't find a babysitter. And one of the store employees said, hey, you're such a you know, valuable customer to us, I'll, I'll go babysit tonight. That was their wow for the day. And so I think as a teacher, what are you playing for? Who are you playing for? And how do you deliver wow to one person every single day? Just one. And you can think that's just one person. But when you multiply that over the course of the school year, that's a lot of wows. So maybe in your, your school, maybe with a few teachers, you can hold each other accountable. Maybe with a few faculty members, you can hold each other accountable to go, hey, who did you deliver wow to? And what are you playing for today? And look at that on a regular basis. Begin your, begin your day reminding yourself of who you're playing for, what are you playing for, and how can you deliver wow for one person um, today. I love what Andy Stanley says when he says, do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. If you do that a lot over time, that adds up to a lot of everyone's. I love that. That is so awesome. Just really powerful and makes you um, think about uh, what could I do? What's that, what, what's that wow? I love that. You know, you know, one of the things I want to make sure we talk about is I understand that you'll be speaking at an event coming up October 8th with John Maxwell called Live to Lead. Uh, want to give a sneak peek into what you'll be talking about? Sure. We're going to be talking about four. Um, and I'm going to dive in much deeper in terms of what we're, we've been talking about today. And again, from a business standpoint, and this is true for organizations, but we'll, we'll just talk about it from a business standpoint for just a second. It's no longer about being the best business in the world. It's about being the best business for the world. 
it's no longer about being the best school in the community. It's about being the best school for the community. And we want to add value to people. And we're really calling people to say, hey, in a hypercritical, cynical world that's so divisive and it's often known for what it's against, we're calling a group of leaders who want to jump on board with us to say, we want to be known for who and what we're for. And that's what I'm going to be talking about. I'm going to try to present the business organizational case that this is great business, but I'm going to present um, another case that says, but this is what we ought to do to help change our world. You know, John wrote a book called Change, change Your World. And I, I think we're going to be talking about for Live to Lead, or one of the things we're going to be talking about Live to Lead is how can we change our world? Our world is in desperate need of great leaders like you, Steve, to continue to rise up. And let's talk about what we want to be known for. So I'm going to be there. John's going to be there. Valerie Burton um, and Ed Milet and, and Jamie Conlina is going to be there. It's going to be great. But I'm just excited about the fact that we're going to be able to get, gather in person and in, in virtually other places around the world. This is, we really do believe this is a movement. And, and now more than ever, in a world that I think needs to be known for what we're for, we need more positive messages. You know, John says, the world was never changed ultimately by some, some message that was against one another. Those messages have power, but they eventually flame and fan out. It's the, it's the messages that are for people those are the messages that stick. So that's what we're going to be talking about at Live to Lead, among other things. But it's going to be a great day. I can't wait to can't wait for that day to get here. Very cool. Looking forward to it because I'm planning on being there. And uh, awesome. It's going to be it's going to be great. The, the, uh, by the way, for the listeners, uh, Live to Lead. There's an educators discount code uh, for uh, for the live in person event in Atlanta. And so when you go to check out at uh, l2latl.com, you put in the code K12. So uh, very cool for educators listening you get a chance to go uh, listen to everyone talk. Uh, Jeff, I can't thank you enough uh, for being here today. Uh, but before we close, if someone wanted to connect with you uh, to learn more, where would you send them? Just jeffhenderson.com. That, in fact, the, the four voices assessment, that's, that's where that is. It's, it's free. There's an organizational assessment. There's actually a career risk calculator assessment for those that are thinking about um, you know, career change down the road. All these assessments are free, and it's really our opportunity to go, hey, we're for you. Um, and if we can help serve you. Um, and then my book, if they have my book, my cell phone number is in the back of the book. So if you'll text me, I'll text you back. And that's been so fun. I get um, a d- text or two a day from people from all over. My wife wasn't too keen on this idea, Steve, of putting my cell phone number in the, in the back of the book, but um, it's been great. And so I, I, but I'm, I'm batting a thousand percent. So if you text me, I'll text you back. That's awesome, and I love I love that because it, it, yeah, there it is in the book, and uh, it's like uh, that's that's so cool that you've done that. Hey, I just want to tell you all that uh, what's really cool is that they've created a, a special landing page for uh, the listeners of Teaching Learning Leading K twelve. It's at uh, um, johnmaxwell.com slash tllk twelve, right? And when you go there, you'll find uh, the landing pages where you can find um, Jeff Henderson's The Four Book and uh, You for the World Digital Course and Four Voices Assessment. So make sure you go to www.johnmaxwell.com slash T-L-L-K-12, and you'll find uh, all those resources there. Very cool. Uh, Jeff, I got one more question for you, and it goes like this. Sure. Do you have a teacher in your past who made a difference in your life? If so, who was it, and what would you say if given the chance to say thank you? It's hard to pick one, but can I pick two? Most definitely. (laughs) So uh, Shirley Dillard at Cornelia Elementary School up in Northeast Georgia. Shirley was 
one of the first ones, even at that early age that said, Hey, you've got a, you've got a communication gift, which was phenomenal. And then coach Dwight Norris was my high school basketball coach at Norcross high school in Gwinnett County. And he was, he was both hard on me and encouraging on me because he, he, he truly believed in me. And, uh, so those, those two kind of book in early on and then, um, there. So, and I'm a, I'm, I'm a public school boy. So I, I went to Cornelia elementary and Norcross high school, but you know, you're getting old, Steve, when your high school is no longer where it was when you went there, you know, Norcross <laughs> high school has moved. So, uh, Norcross high school, I, I, I'm, I'm kind of an old guy, but, but coach Norris and, and Shirley Dillard had a big impact on me. Very cool. That's awesome. That's anyway. I know the I know the feeling about uh, that that whole thing. Uh, my high school is in Florida, and the last time I went to visit it, they they moved it way back away from the road. They they bought property so that they could move it way back from the and they changed the direction the road went. I'm like, what in the world? What? So what is? <laughs> yeah. Did y'all not care about us when I was going to school here? So right. Exactly. It's like no. Wait until way down the road and we'll do this. Uh, yeah, that's right. That's right. Great stuff. You know. Jeff, thanks so much for talking with us today. Your book, Know What You're For, A Growth Strategy for Work and Even Better Strategy for Life is an amazing, uplifting book that everyone should read. It will inspire the reader to make personal changes as well as in her organization. Wishing you the best. Looking forward to hearing you speak on October 8th at Live to Lead. Keep up the great work and take care. Thanks, Steve. Great to see you. Look forward to seeing you there. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is excited to be a member of Voice Ed Radio. Voice Ed Radio, your voice is right here. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is a proud member of the Education Podcast Network. Podcasts for educators, podcasts by educators. The opinions expressed on Teaching Learning Leading K-12 are those of the guests and hosts. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is intended to share ideas, advice, and suggestions for classroom teachers and school administrators. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is produced for educational purposes. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll share it with your friends.